You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and today we have a very special guest. You you guys know I really am into side hustles, earning money on the side. That's like my big thing. I even have an awesome post, if you haven't checked it out, on 137 side hustle ideas to get you started. But, you know, when you're talking about side hustles, a lot of people don't know what to do. They don't understand the you know, complexities of what goes into it. They need a little extra help. And some people for that, you know, they want a, a coach or someone to, you know, help them out, keep them on track. And that is exactly what today's guest does. So everyone give a, a warm welcome to Alex. Alex, say hello to everybody. What's going on, everybody? <laughs> so, uh, so Alex, tell us, um, tell us about your history, where you got started, your, your career, and what led you to start loving side hustles. Well, I was born in New York City. Um, We're going way <laughs> back in time. Let's skip ahead. <laughs> let's skip ahead. Um, it was a dreary Sunday afternoon. And, no, okay. There, yeah, I fell in love with the American dream. Right, get into a good profession, make a lot of money, get married, have kids, and that's what you're supposed to do. So I did that. One point six kids. Uh, two is what we're at. We ha- we haven't reached the point six yet. <laughs> um, we, uh, when I was young, I knew I was good at math and science and I didn't want to touch blood, butts or guts. So okay. I chose pharmacy. I was like, okay, I won't have to touch any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I was also I, the, uh, the math science kid and my sister, also another math science kid. She went and became a doctor. I went more the banker finance route, but seeing and hearing everything she does, she's a surgeon now. I'm really glad there's people who want to do that because I don't think I could even give anyone a shot. She cuts people open. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't want that kind of job. And, you know, looking back on it, I mean, that's probably another discussion for another day, but probably six months into the first couple of, uh, of my the first couple of months of my career, I realized I, I think I was meant to do something more than just do what a typical pharmacist does. Mm-hmm. So I started looking into career stuff because I wanted to get, I thought I wanted to get ahead, maybe climb the corporate ladder. And then I realized that doesn't sound like fun at all to me. And I slowly was persuaded to ride the crazy ride of entrepreneurship. <laughs> and I started off doing anything and everything I could get my hands on. I sold baby strollers online. I made custom stickers. I did consulting. I did behind the scenes stuff for podcasting. I built websites and for local businesses. Um, I did coaching. I have tried almost all of the ways to make money online and I found some ways that work and I found a lot more ways that didn't really work for me. <laughs> um, so how did you get into the stroller thing? I, I know you know a lot of online products, it's pretty easy to source your inventory and sell them um, depending on what you want to do. Why strollers? Well, I didn't, I didn't go with the sourcing, product okay. sourcing. I never tried that. That seemed too complicated for me. I went with more like retail arbitrage. So okay. 
If you don't know what that is, basically you just find stuff cheap at garage sales or wholesale shops, and then you sell them for a higher price on places like Amazon, uh, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. And that's essentially what I did. I lived in rural Virginia, and for like a good eight months out of the year, there's garage sales every weekend. And the majority of them are young moms Mm -hmm. that want to get rid of their baby stuff and they don't want to deal with the hassle of doing things online. So I bought them up super cheap. You know, they put like $30 on it and I'd be like, well, I'll take, I'll give you $10 right now. And I would, (laughs) I would grab my $10 bill and I'd shove it in their hand so that they would just say yes. And that's a good buying (laughs) negotiation strategy right there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, Take I think my it's money. the puppy dog. It's I think it's called the puppy dog clothes, right? As soon as you give someone something, they're like, oh man, this feels good. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> um, and then I sold it for a much higher price online. And that's how I got started with a lot of seed money. And then that led to a bunch of other unprofitable ideas. <laughs> well, like, what, what were some of your most fun, unprofitable adventures? <sighs> uh, podcasting. Podcasting? <laughs> I, I have to say podcasting has not been a money maker for me either uh, i actually pay for all the costs for editing and, and whatnot on this show out of pocket but because it's part of my bigger personal brand i find that worthwhile but there's a lot of people who don't realize that it costs money to run a podcast and a website and they they burn out really quickly when they find out how much work and cost goes into it yeah yeah i did a podcast called the leadership dojo it did really really well it had like forty thousand downloads in the first two months And one of the main reasons why it failed was, is I wasn't thinking long term, like what, what would this actually become this kind of business where I would be like coaching and speaking on leadership Mm -hmm. and what it turned into or the path that it was leading me on was a speaking kind of business. And that's really difficult when you live in the middle of nowhere in Michigan and you have to travel like three hours to get to the airport. And then you got to travel from airport to place and you have a full-time day job. And on top of that, you have, you know, a limited vacation time. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of my biggest, I, I guess I wouldn't call it a failure, but maybe by other people would say, yeah, you failed on that one, buddy. But, but I learned with, a lot. Getting 40,000 downloads, you know, that that's, that's not a failure by, by most measures. That's a great success. So, it wasn't really a failure. It was a pivot, right? It was a learning experience. <laughs> you could call it that for sure. It depends, I guess, on what you're, you know, what you measure as a success, right? It's something that was cool to say. It's fun to say because most people don't, they can't even get that in a year's time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what did it translate to me getting as far as like a, a profitable business? It, it wasn't very much. Okay. I actually, I, you know, I, I really enjoy, I checked out some of your income reports and it's always fun to see the transparency that people have when they do those sorts of things. I have tracked my income and expenses over the last five years now of entrepreneurship. And it, it's really cool to see how the, <laughs> the more you spend on your own improvement, the more return you get, you know, I've absolutely had that same experience. I, you know, when I started out, I've, I had my, my first website was, uh, 
what is now personal profitability was narrowbridgeadventures.blogspot.com because I was too stingy <laughs> to put up at that point like seven dollars. You know, there, there I just saw a sale. Uh, you know, GoDaddy go ninety nine cents to get a .com domain. I wouldn't even put like seven or ten dollars in. I was willing to put all these hours of work to build a blog and write the articles and create everything, but I wasn't willing mm-hmm. to put ten dollars into my own business. And I realized that that you know fear of investing in yourself. And, and what you're working on can definitely be a crutch, but you also you know, want to be careful and don't want to spend too much too fast and, and lose money. So it's a fine line to walk for sure. Yeah. I'm a big, you probably have seen this, but anytime you think about a new endeavor, you probably think like, how can I validate this as quickly as possible? Right. That's, you know, there's uh, you know, Pat Flynn has a book on that exact topic. I'll let it fly. And I have to be honest, I'm really bad at validation. I often just dive in and start doing things and hope it will work rather than uh, <laughs> taking the time ahead to figure out well, if it will work. Um, but I guess there's some, it's, that, uh, it's that fail fast mentality that comes out of Silicon Valley, right? You know, I have an idea. Let's just find out. Um, if I spend more time trying to prepare, you know, have that analysis paralysis thing that I never mm. get going, I'll never know. So that that's always been my mm. my thought process behind you know fail quickly fail hard move on to the next thing and find the thing that works which uh, you know for me it's, it's been writing has has been my number one income source now uh, for since actually last uh, last April but um, you know, it, it has to you, if you wait too long you'll never find out that's something I've found out with my uh, business adventures along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what? Um, so what you tried all these different businesses, you sold strollers, you, uh, you, you were a jack of all trades. Uh, what, what came next? Well, uh, actually kind of similar to you, I started freelance writing, which oddly enough is not something I'm great at. I'm not a great writer, but I essentially hired an editor at a cheaper price than what I, what I was getting paid to do to edit all of my articles. And we would send out these articles and I would get paid more. And so I just kept the profit and I just kept doing that over and over and over again. And, um, that's how essentially we were able to pay off our house 27 years early. That's awesome. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of power behind freelance writing. I mean, it's, it's really, once you get momentum going, it's fairly quick to, you know, grow that kind of business. Yeah, I was uh, I was shocked. You know, I'd been working at it for years and years, and was able to get up to you know four or five thousand a month in income, which I was super excited about while doing it as a side hustle. But when I left my job, I figured, you know, if I'm putting forty or fifty hours a week into this instead of ten or twenty, obviously it will grow and earn me a heck of a lot more than what did before. And from the time I left my job in April until October of 2016, things were you know, kind of up, kind of down, but but not any huge smashing success. And then last October, I just hit it big and had my first $10,000 plus month and haven't dropped back down. And that's all just been writing and, and keeping up volume and building good relationships and keeping my clients happy. And that was what, you know, that let me leave my job and focus on all my other side hustles now, which it feels weird to say I have a side hustle when my old side hustle became my primary hustle. <laughs> mm, nice. <laughs> yeah. So Do you, uh, oh, go ahead. out of curiosity, as you are growing your business, did you find that 
it was key clients that were asking for more revenue or did you find more variety and that brought you the profitability? Um, it was, you know, what was, what was the transition from your four grand to 10 grand? It was a combination of adding more clients and adding better clients. And I used to have clients that I was happy to write for at a much lower rate than I would take today. And as I got better clients that paid me more per article, I was able to drop off those lower clients. So it's kind of like, you know, if you think of the, the Maslow hierarchy, you have your core mm-hmm. base needs at the bottom and those elite things at the top. Well, if you switch that thought at, to writing and clients, that bottom part of the pyramid, the base of the pyramid are my you know, more frequent uh, clients I write for multiple times a week, maybe that pay less per article, but they're much easier to write. Then at the top of that pyramid are the clients I don't write quite as often for, and they're much harder articles to write, more time intensive and difficult, but I get paid you know, multiples times more. I mean, it's up to 10 times as much per article. So by having that balance between those baseload clients, you know, some kind of core clients in the middle that are more or less consistent and pay a, a more my average rate, and then those few pinnacle clients at the top, that's been what, what's really helped. And as I've gotten more of those better peak clients, I've been able to drop more of those bottom clients. So it's kind of like a, a revolving door of clients where I'm able to build up and keep the best stable of clients possible. And, and I'm thrilled to work with the, the clients I work with now. You know, they're all great companies. And, and I, there are clients I've said, you know, I don't want to write for you anymore for whatever reason. One, because they were too difficult to work with. One, because they wouldn't pay um, the rate that I was was getting on average um, from other clients and that were the rate that I'm commanding now. So, I said goodbye to them mm-hmm. on my own. I said, I don't need you anymore. You know, I didn't say those exact words to them. Those are the words I thought sure. in my head. But I eventually <laughs> said, you know, I've appreciated the opportunity and it's uh, you know, it's time for us to part ways and we can do that on good terms. You know, doing that has really let me kind of level up my clients. So, so I'm working with really great companies. I think that there's a lot of wisdom there, my friend, because I mean, as you get started, it's kind of like you want the best for yourself, but often you have to work with what you can find. Right. And it's just a matter of time before you start showing enough value that people show up. It's how it's the same way that I was able to trade up to better clients, I suppose, if you use the word trade up, kind of like you use revolving door (laughs) to get better coaching clients. Because the better, just like with you and having better companies, you you establish a better reputation. You get more interest from companies at the same level, if not higher. Right? Mm-hmm. Totally. And when I get a... Like, I, I just got a coaching client now who owns a multi-million dollar business, but he wants to get out of it and get into something new. So, he's growing a coaching business on the side... And like, he's the kind of guy that a year ago I would have been like, oh my gosh, how am I going to coach you? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, do you think that you would have been able to take on the load that you have now a year ago? Did you expect to to be where you're at today? I'd say I did expect to be roughly where I am today, but Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have been able to handle it day one when I left my job. Sure. Took, takes time to build systems and create those relationships, meet new people, you know, get get everything 
that you have to do to run the business under control. Because as you know, uh, you know, a freelance writing business or a coaching business isn't just writing and coaching. There's accounting, there's communications, there's emails, there's tools, there's self-marketing, there's promotion, uh, conferences. There's this long list of things that goes into every dollar you make. And you're not getting paid for all those other things. You're only getting paid for the those you know, words on the page or the hours with the client or whatever it is your business is. So having that time in the beginning actually gave me a, a big benefit that I didn't realize at the time. I was just mad I wasn't making more money yet. I was like, I want to make $10,000 a month next month. <laughs> that wasn't really realistic, was it? No. But um, <laughs> by you know focusing on the systems and doing a great job with the clients I had at the time, I was able to really build up my reputation and you know, go out to other potential clients and say, you know, look, here's the great work I've been doing for this company and this company. I'd love to work for your company as well. And that's yep. that's really where the 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 slight levels up keep going on. You know, yeah. you don't jump smart. Um, you know, it, like I keep saying, level up. I'm thinking like Mario now, like the original, like Mario <laughs> three on the original Nintendo. I remember that one. If, if there was a uh, a secret code or a trick on the first level, where rather than going and Mario punching the box where you get like a star or a mushroom or something, you could go behind the black uh, end thing and go to a secret area where you could jump <laughs> worlds to the next world. And yep. anyone who was brand new to Mario and did that trick on level one and jumped right to the eighth world, you know, you'd get your butt kicked on the eighth world. It's really hard. It takes a lot of practice to win there. So, you know, going through one level at a time actually does help a lot of people because you learn so much every step of the way. <laughs> my Mario analogy of the day it shows my age. Uh, I played Mario when I was five. <laughs> But uh, I think it's a great analogy. Totally. I've been lately, and this is a total like off topic thing. Lately, I've been like totally embracing my inner nerd and it has been awesome. I've been watching way more Star Trek episodes, like the old, old ones from, you know, the the 60s and then the 70s and and ones from the 80s and 90s. And it's been a blast. But on a side note, you should (laughs) check out uh, John D. Harrison. He's a he he's started off writing about leadership. And then he realized that he loves video games, so he just needs to combine the two. So he writes about leadership and video games. And he's actually spoken at a few conferences. So just FYI. (laughs) That is totally... You you can make money on anything these days. The the internet is such an amazing tool to connect to so many people. If you think about it, there's, what, 6 billion-ish people that have access to the internet. And that's that's a big-ish, because I know there's parts of the world... Um, the internet access isn't as easy. But even if you look just like the United States, Canada, the UK, or the English-speaking countries, Australia, um, you have many hundreds of millions of people you can reach just by typing a couple words in your keyboard. That's a tool we've never had before. This is you know what you and I are doing. You know, I, I started my first blog in 2008. This was a new thing. Um, so, so we're even though it feels like podcasts and blogs have been around a while and they're old news or fake news, as the president might say, we're, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's a uh, we're still at the, at the infancy of, of this online working an, an online world. So uh, you know, there's a lot of exciting stuff in the future for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so what is your so? How did you end up with a coaching focused business? You were doing writing, you'd sold all these e-commerce things. What was um, 
what was it that drew you into coaching and made that feel like the right fit for you? Well, I love being the boss. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I found that e- even before I had the success of writing and, and selling that content, I found people naturally messaging me and asking me for help. And I found myself doing coaching and it coming very easily to me. And I did some research on it and I read some books and I thought to myself, like, this sounds like probably more fun than writing. And so I started doing it for free for a few people. And then I started to do it around certain goals. So like, for example, I used to coach people who were really unconfident in their own voice and I would coach them around podcasting. Mm-hmm. the process, the launch, and helping them just gain confidence to do to do it. I remember my first ever, you're going to laugh at this, my first ever I'm already group laughing. coach. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> no. that, that's not a good thing. <laughs> I haven't talked yet. The, the first ever group coaching thing that I had was $37 a month. And I remember being so scared asking someone else, to pay $37 a month to be a part of this group. I, I was on the phone just just sweating, just uncomfortable sweat too. Not like the natural sweat at the gym, like I'm uncomfortable, like I, I'm either going to die or I need to run away uncomfortable. You know, something interesting about that, that you bring that up, a lot of people are really nervous about charging for the first time for something, for anything, or mm-hmm. raising their rates. That's something... I run into a lot with other freelance writers. They're like, oh, well, you know, in um, the industry that I work in, maybe it's travel, maybe it's something else. They say, you know, well, people don't really pay more than $50 or $100 or or whatever it is for what I'm doing. Well, have you asked? What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? You know, let's say you want to start this new program, $37 a month. Yeah, that's like a lot to ask from people, from other people you don't know. But what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? (laughs) <laughs> you don't get the thirty-seven dollars. I mean, maybe they make fun of you um, a little bit on Twitter. Like that's probably the worst thing that could happen. So the probably. real worst-case scenario isn't that bad, right? But you were sitting there sweating and worried. So that's something. You know, that's, that's a mental challenge a lot of people need to overcome is getting past that first hurdle of yes, it's okay to charge something, and yes, I'm worth it. Hmm. And uh, luckily, people started saying yes. Um, <laughs> it, it it became easier and easier with each try. They say in sales that the best time to make your next sale is right after you make a sale and you just get better at it with time. Mm-hmm. And, um, after I moved, I moved away from podcast coaching into specifically helping busy professionals start the process of online entrepreneurship. I had a lot of people contacting me, asking me, how are you managing to do all these things? while working a full-time job. For example, I, I helped out a guy a couple months ago. He was a full-time engineer in Canada and he wanted to start up a personal coaching. Uh, well, no, personal training, I should say, where you help people get back in shape. Mm-hmm. And he was selling... Actually, I really liked his model. It, he was selling access to essentially training videos and a diet regimen via email. So it was an autoresponder. And on top of that, they would get access specifically to just 
him and his knowledge. So you could contact him anytime with nutrition questions. And at first he was selling it like $500 for three months. And he, and he only had two clients at the time. And within two months, he was able to get six clients and he raised his price to $500 a month. So if you do the math, that, that adds up to a, a nice little business there. <laughs> yes. And the, and the funny thing is with those two clients is he was spending way too much time working on things and not providing a whole lot of value. We were able to get him to work less and make more, which that's what side hustling is all about, right? Working less, making more to do the things that you want to do, whether it is quitting your full-time job like you did, or yeah. it's saving up for retirement faster or traveling more, whatever your goals are. For him, my buddy, for Karen, he wanted really to quit his job and he's well, well on his way. I think last time I talked to him just a few weeks ago, he's working on his emergency fund right now. So, you know, once you have that, you're, you're, you're near good to jump. After you have your emergency fund, then, then you just need to build up your FU fund. And uh, <laughs> then you're, yeah. you know, actually, but side hustles, they, um, you know, for me, as it did lead to me quitting my old job. And um, you know, a lot of people think that when you quit your job to focus on your side hustle, that you just sit on the beach and drink pina coladas. And while I do live a five minute walk from the beach, I do not have many pina coladas. It's usually a scotch, but um, it's hard work. It's not like I, I don't work anymore. Yeah, I might be able to do the work in my pajamas until three in the afternoon if I choose. Um, today, I didn't. I actually showered and got up and got dressed. But there have been days recently I, I've made it well past lunchtime still in my pajamas. But it is work. <laughs> I mean, it's not like um, I'm sitting in a, in a cubicle with a boss looking over my shoulder. But now and we were talking about that stable of clients earlier. I don't have one boss. I have like 10 bosses and each of yep. them sends me something. And if I don't quickly respond and give them what they want, I will lose that client. I will lose that boss. So, so it is work uh, even when you leave your job. But going back to what you were saying with the finances, um, yeah, there, there's so many other things you can do with a side hustle that aren't leaving your job. Uh, for me, I paid off my student loans, about $40,000 in student loans. When I finished my MBA program, I was able to pay it off a lot faster because of my side hustles. Uh, I was at that point making like $10 a blog post. So um, that was my very beginning days when I started out. Nice. Yeah. Now I make a heck of a lot more than $10 a post at that rate. I would not <laughs> be able to feed my family. Um, but, you know, paid off my student loans, saved that emergency fund. Another thing you were just talking about when I left my job. I actually um, sold my house at the same time. So I had like a five-year emergency fund put away. Uh, I think that's a little excessive. Most people don't need five years of savings to leave their job. I just so happened to have it. Uh, but wow. <laughs> uh, you, you, I had was able to fund a lot of that savings because of my side hustles. I hit a point in 2015, I brought in $40,000 in revenue on the side. And that's you know a big chunk of change. That's as much as a lot of people make in a year. So imagine if you had an extra 10, 20, 30, 40,000 a year, um, how much quicker you could retire or fill up that emergency fund or pay off those credit cards, whatever it is you're trying to do. Yep. I totally agree. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> No, uh, what we're just we're just chatting, and totally. we're on the same level. Yeah. Last year, we were able to do very very well in business, and um, this year we're on target to pay off my last uh, loan. But because I'm still employed, I'm a part of a debt re reimbursement program. 
Uh, so you get so, money from work and from the side hustle. You're double. You're you're burning the candle on I'm both ends, dipping. as they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as a pharmacist, we do make you know quite a bit of money. It takes a lot longer time to replace that income, but we're pretty close to where we want to be. Now it's just a matter of, for me, is maximizing every hour that I have by delegating to my team. Right. So that I'm doing less, they're doing more and we're making more. And that's a fun battle. I, I find it a, a great challenge every day. Yeah, so what um, when did you start bringing on people to help you out and stop doing everything yourself? Oh, probably. Uh, I mean, not everything, <laughs> but th- yeah, the main things I do now are just coaching. Like that's the majority of what I do as far as work. The writing business is fairly automated at this point. Um, but I started back probably in early 2013. I, when I started my podcast, The Leadership Dojo, I didn't want to do any of the editing. Absolutely none. I, I knew I wanted help with that. And so that's, that's probably when I first got started. And then I hired a ghostwriter on HireMyMommy.com, which is a real site. (laughs) Um, And then I hired a Filipino uh, VA. And then I've hired a few developers, website people, all sorts of different odd jobs here and there that I have people on retainer and ghostwriters. So I've been using people all along. And it's really, like you said, it's just coming down to creating a system for things. And as long as people follow a system, then things just work out. Yeah. So you're, um, where, when you found all these VAs and assistants, where have you found them? Was it all, you know, Fiverr or Upwork or did you have any favorite places to get help? Uh, I actually like HireMyMommy.com. I, I think it's just because you know that, you know, that person is a mommy. Yeah. <laughs> and mommies have to be responsible, right? So it's like an automatic they have automatic, you know, trust. Cred. Yep. Trust, um, cred. interchangeable words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also used uh, Chris Drucker's virtual staff finder okay. company to find my, my VA. I, I had a little bit of trouble going in with a $500 price point to find one, but I'm so glad I did because that VA just made my life so much easier because she handled everything on the back end, WordPress, um, my theme, um, just the things that I hate doing, the, the stupid, boring stuff. <laughs> if you don't mind sharing, so um, so you, you found the VA through Virtual Staff Finder. Did you hire them part-time, full-time? What did the, uh, if you don't mind sharing the compensation, what, what do you spend on, on this help? And how many hours back do you get in return? Ooh, you want the, the needy greedy. Um, <laughs> well, I, I hired her at $250 a month, which in return got me four hours a day. Okay. So that translates to a little bit over $3 an hour. Which, um, which in the Philippines, you know, a lot of people, it's easy to you know pick on you know, low wages and things like that. But in the Philippines, that's actually a, about a middle class income. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Um, nurses over there, by comparison, I think they make about um, four fifty or four five dollars an hour. So, being an assistant isn't all that bad. 
but yeah, I paid, I paid her 250 plus commission. So it was based on certain results that I, I dictated to her that I wanted to see. And if she met those goals, then she received bonuses. Typically it ranged a little bit above $300. Did she usually get the bonus or was that something that wasn't realized? Uh, yeah, not always. Um, how do I, how do I say this? She, what I learned about other people who have hired people in the Philippines is that they aren't necessarily creative, but that, that, that's not entirely true. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to stereotype or be seen as, <laughs> I don't know. You, I'm trying to walk a fine line here. Oh, it's okay. Um, I, I had to grow my VA in such a way that she would learn how to be creative. And that was, di- that was very difficult in the beginning. I have, I have our challenges with, um, when you bring on a VA, India, Philippines, you have to be very, very specific and precise and accurate with your instructions and they will follow them to the letter. But if you don't give great directions and say, Oh, just go figure this out they probably won't figure it out the way you were thinking it in your head. That's so true. And then you become disappointed because you're like, well, why didn't you try? Um, yeah, I've had, I've had those disappointing thoughts and conversations before, but yeah, I, I would pay her that much. And, um, I still work with her now, although there's been an awful earthquake in her area. So I actually oh. haven't heard from her in about a, over a week. Oh. So well, I hope she's yeah. okay. That's, yeah, that's she was okay rough. when she emailed me, but she's not doing well now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's it's hard to do your job as a as a VA without internet. If the earthquake knocks that out, that's something I actually exactly. worry about a little bit. Living in Southern California, like, well, if the big one comes, and you know, I'm stuck here on the little <laughs> island of Ventura, California, with you know maybe the 101s closed north of us and south of us, and we're kind of stuck here. Uh, how would I do my job without the internet? I have not figured out the answer yet. That's uh, that's the only thing that I think could shut me down. I feel like I could do the do my work anywhere as long as I have the internet. Without the internet, that's uh, mm-hmm. it becomes tough to work online. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's a, that's that's the crux of our whole thing. Like if that goes away, then uh oh, <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> and then companies keep raising what we have to pay for our uh, internet bills. I'm like, well, I need it, so for me, it's worth it. But it's a real bummer for for people when they're like, oh more money more money <laughs> yep so anyway so so you're day-to-day now uh, you're still working mm-hmm. full-time you're side hustling where do you how does your schedule fit together what, what's the the puzzle of alex's life Ooh. uh well i just renegotiated my position to be four tens okay so for that- those who don't know four tens could you could you share what that means yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. So it is, uh, I work four days in a row working 10 hour shifts each day. So the typical shifts for the pharmacist in my kind of position is you work five eights or in all reality, it's about nine hours a day, five days a week. The eight to five um, thing. <laughs> yep. More or less. Pretty typical. And I uh, renegotiated it so that it's 7 to 5.30 and life is so good doing that. I typically wake up 4.35 every day. I usually do product or course creation in the mornings. 
And then I have the occasional coaching client who loves to meet uh, early in the morning. And then... So before 6 a.m. doesn't exist in my vocabulary. <laughs> well, when you work full time <laughs> on your business, you can. <laughs> I remember way, way back when in my uh, in my twenties, way back when a couple of years ago, and when, when I was still doing the uh, the party scene and going out to all the nightclubs, it was more likely I was up at four thirty because it's still last night, not because it's tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> but but now I have a daughter, so I go to bed at like nine thirty, and I'm up around seven a.m. So I'm boring now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a part of being an adult that's yeah we, we have a couple of friends who have an, a podcast called adulting and sometimes I, I feel like it's uh it feels way too real that i have to think about adulting as part of my life i, <laughs> I know those guys i met them on uh, a cruise oh we're talking about um miranda marquit and harlan Lane, miranda yep. uh, i met miranda yeah yeah so um, they, that's a great podcast. If, if you haven't checked it out, listeners, adulting with uh, with Miranda and Harlan Luke Flexo Landis, whatever his name is this week, it's changed over time <laughs> as he has become less secretive about his identity. Uh, so, huh. so, so you're up. You're definitely the early riser. Mm-hmm. You get work done before you go into work. Do you come home and get more work done in the evening? Well, uh, it's actually 7.42 my time right now. So, yes, <laughs> occasionally I do. I, occasionally I coach someone. I, I uh, At a coaching business, the way to get, the way to maintain your pipeline is to always have conversations with people. Mm-hmm. So, every Monday evening, I have a complimentary coaching call with anyone who uh, wants it. It's like and a group call? I'm sorry. Is it a group call or one-on-ones? One-on-ones. I've moved away from groups because I I find that I, I get my clients get better results when I work with them in depthly. Like, and it's that makes yeah, sense. I could explain more of that, but um, so Monday evenings are typically the only evenings where I'm working on the business. Occasionally, I'll occasionally I'll be working on maybe a. Uh, an article that I want to write or networking or being a part of some group maybe in the evenings, but typically I reserve it for uh, family time as soon as I get home. And then my wife and I hang out usually after eight. We usually either watch TV show, play a game or my favorite play a video game. <laughs> <laughs> See, my, I have uh Again, the dad thing, my, my Xbox doesn't really get use anymore. Um, it used to when we were still getting Netflix DVDs. We were like the last people to cancel Netflix <laughs> DVD like three months ago. Do, um, they, do they still provide that service? They still do they that. You can it. still get Netflix DVDs if, if you want, and they'll still send them in the mail. And there's some stuff you just can't get on streaming. Um, but I realized that wow. there's so much on streaming that I have plenty to take up my time, and I don't need to spend extra money on sitting in front of a TV. Uh, I spend enough on that with, with my current Netflix bill at like 11 or $12 a month, whatever it is. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we definitely <laughs> enjoy our Netflix and chill time after the uh, baby goes to bed too. <laughs> so do you, so you have the other three days of the week though, working for tens um, you have three full days off every week. Do you use that primarily for work? Do you mix that with work and pleasure? What is uh, what do those days look like for you? Uh, the the full days that I have off Monday. Uh, can you hold on one second, Eric? Sure. My youngest. 
uh, escape the bedroom. <laughs> we might edit this out or we might just like play it at the end as a little joke. <laughs> you can do whatever you want with it because this is real life, baby. Uh, Did you see you that? Did you see that? Um, that news story a couple months ago with the guy who was being interviewed by BBC and his kids came in and his wife came in. Yeah. What made it comical was just his reaction. And then that, I mean, that wife was so weird. Like (laughs) she was like trying to hide and stay out of the way. Um, Yeah. She was trying to help. There's no way you're hiding your presence. Her her heart was in the right place. As a, um, as someone who has gone through what you are dealing with right now with little ones in the background many times, I, uh, I feel for you. I get it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. One second as I uh, get this one ready for bed, I'll be right back. Sure. And I'm back. All right. I'm trying to remember where we were at in our conversation. <laughs> mm, I don't remember either. We were talking about VAs for a while. We were talking about hustling, coaching, my schedule, Mondays. Mondays. Yes. Your your fa- your full days off. So what do your full days off look like when you are not going in at all? Yeah. I spend that time to work on the business versus in it. So to work in the business means I'm doing I'm doing the actual work like I'm coaching people, I'm writing possibly, I'm uh, doing the work that receives money. Revenue generating um, activities. Exactly. When I'm working on the business on Mondays, I'm doing things that involve uh, growing things. So I'm possibly interviewing someone for a new position i'm potentially meeting people who would be interested in a coaching program i'm doing all these sorts of things throughout the day because it's my one day where i get a long concentrated time to grow things so for example this past monday i am working or i finished uh recording a course that has already Yes, pre-launched at this point. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes I'll work in it, but mostly I work on it. So I think that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. So it sounds like your, your real kind of key to profitability and success here is, you know, building that great team you can count on, um, being very conscientious of how you spend your time and now trying to focus how you spend your time on the things that are not just chasing the quick buck today, but putting the pieces into place to earn you money when you're asleep or when you're off, off doing the pharmacist thing, or hopefully someday when you're sitting on that beach, um, enjoying pina coladas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex, for, uh, for coming on and sharing this story. It's been a blast chatting with you. If, uh, if people want to learn more about you, they want to connect with you, they want to find you, where should they go? Well, the best way to get a hold of me and learn what I'm doing is go to alexbarker.co. Uh, that's where I kind of host some of the blogging that I do and uh, how to get a hold of me for things like coaching um, or just contact in general. If you have a personal question for me and you want to just message me, feel free to do so. My email is alexmichaelbarker at gmail.com. I'd be happy to talk with you. Well, that's awesome. You know, thank you so much again for, for taking the time and sharing your story. You know, this gives a lot of people ideas 
on how to structure their days. We focus, we have a lot of guests on who have you know made it big and already left their jobs. But for people who are still have that, you know, nine to five or, you know, 4 a.m. ungodly hour till seven <laughs> um, kind of schedule, uh, there, there are people doing it and they're out there just like Alex making it happen and making more on the side and getting ready to live whatever dream he has or, or you have for yourself. So, so listeners, you know, definitely take inspiration from Alex. Go check out his website. It'll be linked in the show notes. So again, yeah, thank you, Alex. Listeners, if you enjoyed the show, please do jump onto the i on iTunes to the uh, newly renamed Apple Podcast uh, area of your uh, of your computer <laughs> and leave a rating. Hopefully, I earn five stars. If not, shoot me a note. Let me know what I could do to improve for you. And also, if we if every single person listening told one friend who they think this would help have them listen. Maybe they'll start making a bunch of money on the side. They'll buy you a beer or a coffee as a thank you for introducing them to the show. And it would be a huge favor to me because it helps grow the audience. And that's what it's all about, helping as many people as possible. So thank you again, Alex. Thank you, listeners, for sticking until the end. And until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.